you're a fan of Heavy Comedy from the 80s, the 90s, and beyond, you know our guest this week. From Friends to Seinfeld to the Golden Girls and dozens more, she's one of the most familiar faces in TV comedy. She is Molly Hagen. I'm Jerry Strauss, and this is The Laugh Track. Do you need your weekly comedy fix? Relax while we visit the sitcoms you love, the jokes you remember, the characters you will never forget, and the stars that bring them to you. Sit back. It's The Laugh Track with Jerry Strauss. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Laugh Track with Jerry Strauss. He is I. I am him. And you are here. And we thank you for that. What a great show we have this week. I want to thank you guys personally for some really exciting uh, progression that we've had over the last couple of weeks on this show. Uh, You know, we took a detour a couple weeks back. We had that uh, really unique opportunity to cover the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series finale media event. We got great coverage of that uh, thanks to ABC, thanks to Disney, thanks to Marvel. Uh, And it was a lot of fun to welcome a lot of new ears, a lot of new people to our family, our listenership, if you will. Uh, we followed it up last week with our first return guest, Sarah Hagen, uh, from Freaks and Geeks, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she came back and answered all of your questions, questions that you guys submitted on social media. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to uh, get an even deeper dive into those shows that you guys and certainly I love so much. And uh, we're going to do it again this week with another Hagen. Totally unplanned, I promise. Totally unrelated as well. They share, as far as I know, no DNA. But Molly Hagen is actually one of my oldest interviews, one of my uh, favorite interviews I've ever had in life. Um, And you may not immediately know the name, but you know the person. You know the face. You know her work. She's popped up on everything from Seinfeld to Friends uh, Golden Girls, she was a series regular on a show we talked about here before, Herman's Head. She uh, played the conscience inside Herman's Head, uh, so you may remember her from that. Just a super, super cool, super down-to-earth uh, performer with such an amazing body of work. So much fun to kind of talk to her about all of her experiences from set to set, from TV show to TV show. She's done a lot of film work as well. Um, But she's just got stories galore. She's like, don't take this the wrong way, but I almost think of her like the the Forrest Gump of TV because she's, she's kind of been everywhere. She's just around all the big stuff. She's popped up everywhere you can think of, and she continues to pop up and be on a lot of great shows and uh, movies today. So uh, this is a classic interview that we did some time ago before the laugh track even started. And we're going to bring it back to you because there's just so many great stories about, you know, her time working with some of TV's funniest people on TV's funniest shows. So without further ado, it's Molly Hagen here on the laugh track. Thank you for uh, for being a part of the new show. Um, I, I'm always happy to talk to you. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. And I, I, I enjoy so much for people to say that and for me to be recording it because that means that's proof that people actually enjoy being on the show and enjoy uh, talking to me. So that's nice. There's so many different ways to entertain and connect with people and they all kind of have their own different thing going on. They've got their own factors and their own paths and then everyone involved in them all have their own stories. So I want to kind of get to your story, but what I really want to focus on, which is kind of tough because you're so diverse and eclectic and you've done so many things, but I thought you'd be perfect to talk about uh, the unique experience of sitcom work because you've done so much of that in memorable fashion. So is that okay? Yeah, sure. Excellent. That's, because that's cool. I do have, I also have stage stories, but I have, uh, it is, I have done more on a sound stage than probably a theatrical stage. So yes. Well, Hey, look, and that could be an entirely different episode. I, I have no <laughs> issues finding excuses to continue to bring you back. That is totally cool with me, but I, and, and I think part of it is because I, I guess I grew up kind of a TV geek kid of the eighties and the nineties. And when you're in that era and you're of that age, you watch a lot of sitcoms. I mean, that's kind of what I grew up on. So to me, that's sort of an undervalued form of theater, especially the further you go back and it actually resembles more of an organic type of theater. Um, and it'd be cool just to talk to you because you've got that great, uh, you've just really got that great experience in kind of being a part of that throughout the years. So, I, I mean, what, what was your first experience working in front of a studio audience? Um, I had, I think it was my first, I don't know if it was my first experience. My first experience that I remember was mm -hmm. um, with the director, John Rich. John Rich um, directed uh the I don't know first four seasons or I don't know the Dick Van Dyke show okay. and um, directed I think the first two seasons of All in the Family and he really if you Google John Rich he, uh, unfortunately he's passed but he's he's like the father of sitcom direction mm -hmm. um, he was really funny himself. Uh, he loved, um, he loved humor so much. I mean, if you watch the, uh, he had a funny story about the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, uh, Jerry Paris ended up doing, uh, I think, I don't know, the last few seasons or whatever. And at one point, I forget exactly who asked the question about, well, how hard are these, or, or, or how hard are these are are how hard are these to direct and john said something like i oh they're not that hard at this point i mean anyone can do them like jerry could do them and <laughs> jerry was like oh. and jerry ended up doing like the last few seasons of them but he was really good at developing shows in the beginning um and he was such a huge character himself it was it, it, it was it was a great experience the great experience was it was on Mr. Sunshine and it started starred um, Jeffrey Tambor, okay. and um, and Jeffrey was playing a blind man and a blind professor, and the way John liked to do 
sitcoms is he really liked to do it as much like a play as possible. Mm. So if you've ever been to in, in a studio audience, a lot of times it, the filming takes forever. You know, they, they're huge breaks for costume changes and set changes and the, the experience can go on forever. Um, but John didn't like to do that. He wanted everyone to, to do quick changes as much as possible and move on. So, and he even had little programs for people who were the studio audience and he really respected the studio audience. And he never had a warm up guy. John warmed up the audience. John hmm. from the God booth, the control booth, would warm up the audience. He would tell them stories. And since he had been around for so long, he had all these great stories. And he was so funny himself, he would warm up the audience that way and we'd get started. And he would never stop a show unless something hideous happened. So you really went from start to finish without any notes or interruptions or things like that. You usually ran through the scene twice and you'd move wow. on really quickly. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, the show stopped. And we were like, oh, my God, what happened? I'm like, oh my God, this must be so awful. And and so, so the show stopped and like, we're going to take a break, folks. And we're like, oh my God, what's going on? Something really bad must be happening. And so John came from the booth and started walking towards me. Mm. <laughs> and all of a sudden he comes straight towards me and I'm like, oh no, no, I'm the reason. I am the reason <laughs> the show is stopping. He got all the way to me and he just went, you're awful. You just simply must be better. And wow. Went, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was his note to me and it worked. Damn. It was, oh, it was hilarious. It was so, it's one of the, my favorite moments of all time. Wait, 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 wait. Simply must be better. You, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious now, but how did you feel in that moment? I still think it, I thought it was funny because I, I just oh, something awful must have happened to Joe stopped and then to find out it was me. I think <laughs> on some level I thought it was really funny. I thought that, it was really funny. That's funny. Uh, that's I, amazing. I, I still do. He, he was a really hard taskmaster, uh, but I adored him. I adored him because he was like a father figure and he was so much older than I was. But I think people who were more as contemporary didn't appreciate his, his methods probably nearly as much as I did. Wow. <laughs> but so that really cracked me up. It, it, it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about sort of that unique environment of having to kind of hit, hit your mark, so to speak, and get through without a lot of pausing and a lot of downtime and a lot of multiple takes. Was that, I mean, at the time for you, maybe you didn't know that there was another way, but did it, did it represent a unique challenge compared to the other sitcom experiences that you would then go on to have? Um, I would say that I much preferred what John had going on because it was like, it, there was a, a continuity, there was a flow, there was, it was like a show. It was, you know, one scene led into the next. So as a yeah. performer, you know, it was way more like being in a play than stopping and starting and stopping and starting and stopping and starting, which is harder. There was a flow. Um, mm -hmm. But there's something really peculiar about a four camera sitcom is that you're in this big soundstage and 
it, it's peculiar for me, and and I, it took me a long time to figure this out. Was that you, there's this tendency to want to play to the audience because the audience is there, but mm. in between you and the audience are the cameras and the boom. Right. And so I remember I did this for years. It was really hard for me, you know. But but the the audience is watching it on cameras up above. I mean, sometimes they'll look at the stage, but in order to get the jokes, they're watching their cameras in the audience that they watch to. And, you know, the director and the technical director are switching what camera is being seen at any point in time. And mm -hmm. so you, they're basically seeing a, a, a something live being cut live. Right. And so, and so they're reacting to the TV, but I would be playing to them like they were an audience when I should have been playing to the camera and the uh -huh. camera's much closer and it's my, way more intimate, but I would like sort of reach out beyond them energetically to try to get to them, which is a really weird. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it makes the performances pushed and awful and whatever. And a lot of my performances were really pushed beca because of that, because I didn't realize that, they're watching the camera. They're not really watching me. I don't have to reach out to them. I only have to yeah. reach as far as the camera. You're following and your instincts, though, because that's what you're kind of uh, that's what you need to do when you're on stage, when you're in theater. That's what you'd probably been trained to do up until that point. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a really weird hybrid of film and live stage acting. It is, it is a different animal. So, okay. And, and I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to skip, I'm going to skip ahead really quick because I, I want to hit a bunch of different experiences you've had, but looking back now, 2018, all the sitcom work and all the other work you've done, what's your perspective on this weird animal that still exists? It's not very common anymore, but it's still out there. Have you grown to, enjoy it appreciate it have you grown to kind of still be more comfortable away from it and in more organic other types of settings so the last and actually they're getting more popular now because they're so inexpensive and there's like a whole resurgence of them so they're 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 kind of coming back um, oh, i haven't auditioned for any but they're they are kind of coming back but so the last sitcom i did like this was um something called instant mom and uh, it was four cameras, studio audience, and um, maybe it's five years ago now. Anyway, it was a really great experience. Everyone was really fantastic on it. Uh, really a lot of great actors. And it was, it was really fun during the rehearsal <laughs> because you have like four days to rehearse and you shoot on the fifth day. Yeah. I got to say, I did a <laughs> few episodes. I did like three. I had a recurring character. Okay. I was a basket case. Why? Basket case. I, 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 I it, somehow having the live audience. I learned actually. I learned to really not like the live audience during Herman's Dead. Huh. Okay. Well, that's that goes. That's going back a long way before a lot of the other memorable sitcom roles that you've had. So you're saying you're actually less comfortable now than you were before in this setting. Is that is that kind oh, of accurate? Absolutely. I was wow. way more comfortable in the beginning than I am now. Why? Like way. How does that happen? 
One, I haven't done it very much in a really long time. Yeah. And two, I'm going to jump to Herman's head. Herman's head, for anyone who saw this, there, there, was, there, was a, there was a character called Herman, and anytime he came into some sort of dilemma, you would cut to the inside of his head, and there were four characters in his head that were arguing about what he should do. And I was right. the character in the head. It so was it, would, it was Inside Out. It was a live action sitcom. Same kind of concept right. as the movie Inside Out. That's For right. The youngins. And, <laughs> and and so the the we shot it like you know one set was Herman and all his office mates, and the other set right next to him was his brain, and we'd cut back and forth. So we would we would hear snap, and we were on. So we were sort of live cutting back and forth but this kind of stuff took forever so we held the audience for ever and the audience would turn on us i mean <laughs> as excited they might have been in the beginning they were no longer excited by 11 o'clock at night and we mm. would plead with the powers that be just let them go please let the audience go they hate us now and and I think that's when I learned to like I like I think I do better not with an audience not not that kind of pressure of being judged in that way I it was it was the beginning of the end for me it wow. was it was really hard I mean and also the budget was so small I mean we I think we gave them like candy if they were there long enough like <laughs> some candy but like other things i think it was seinfeld or or friends i mean they gave them pizza i mean they were like full meals or something to the audience wow. they were like you know and like and seinfeld like had a, had a I, I think they had a full band i mean it was it was a completely different experience you know mm. it was a different they t they took care of their audience and whereas we were like you know, uh, it, it, we weren't mean to them, but I, we didn't have the means to like feed them. Or we had we had really good warm up guys. Our warm up guys were really terrific, but mm -hmm. n n no one could be as brilliant as they needed to be to keep an audience for four friggin' hours. Right, right, for a half it's an hour, too long. or twenty two yeah, minutes of exactly. Cut. Yeah. Wow. Well, wow. And so, especially, you know, after the first hour, you see what's going on, you figure it all out. And you're like, oh, I'm good. I know how these, uh, now I know how these are made. Okay, I'm good. Can I leave? <laughs> like, yeah, no, the bloom is can't. off the rose. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bloom is completely off the rose and we want you to laugh again. I'm like, I'm not laughing. <laughs> I'm, you cannot force me to laugh. So how, you know, that brings up a great question because, you know, a lot of us who, I mean, hey, let's face it, the majority of us have never uh, been in this atmosphere. We've never, you know, been a part of a studio audience or been a part of a, a sitcom taping. Um, and, and nobody's really quite sure exactly how it works or how it's sort of changed from show to show or over the generations. So what happens in the case where maybe you're not getting the reaction from the studio audience that you want? Is that where like, like sound sweetening would typically come in in the finished products? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Depending and then there's on... a lot of, then there's stuff that's like the, then there was stuff that audiences would do that was like, oh, please don't do that. Like, if someone kissed, they were like, ooh. I mean, then, there, you know, <laughs> there would be, then there were things that could ruin moments because of what 
audiences were doing. So mm. I, I I can't remember. Oh, oh, but God, the poor sound guy. Well, the thing about John, because John Rich was the warm-up guy and everything, and he has such an authoritarian whatever, he could get the audience to do whatever he wanted. And pe- yeah. they would obey him. But, you know, uh, the, these, you know, the poor stand-up guys were the warm-up guys. You know, they have to, like get the word from the producer to tell the audience not to do something or to do something. It's awful. It's such an awful job. It's like, so they're like, okay guys, so this time during the take, if you could just laugh when the da, 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 or whatever, or, or don't do this. I mean, it's just like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. It's, it's just awful because it's not, it's not organic. None of it's organic. It will, and then, uh, you, you know, know the poor, the poor warm-up guys that end up having to be, if they're there for a really long period of time, end up having to be like policemen. Mm. Well, I, I, let me let me ask you this then, and this is you know maybe based somewhat on opinion and somewhat on your experience, but do you think that kind of that lack of organic reaction, the force nature of things? is it, do you think it varies from show to show because i mean one of the things that i enjoy personally going back and watching a show like a taxi for instance which is one of my favorites ever um and and that show feels and sounds like a very organic theatrical production where whoever is in that studio audience it sounds like they're genuinely reacting to what's going on much more so than a lot of uh, other shows that have come down the pike. Do you think that sometimes it is more of an organic setup? Maybe when all that production in a Herman's head or something like that, isn't necessarily there to, to kind of muddy up the works. I think, well, I mean, you know, taxi is one of the greatest shows ever you know, created. And um, so, yeah, I'm assuming that the experience was much more organic and that it probably ran really smoothly and, and the audiences weren't tired and, and the audiences were really, you know, I mean, look at the talent on that stage. I mean, no one's messing up. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, and uh, so, uh, and I'm not saying I haven't worked with talented people. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's just, it, it, by the nature of what was happening on Herman's head, it was a long shoot uh, because mm-hmm. of the way it had to be. But for something like, uh, no, I'm I'm sure that the stuff at Taxi was organic. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it was. And you can you can tell. I mean, you can tell if, if something is real and the audience is. I mean, you can feel it. You can you can feel it. it, it and sounds... a lot of stuff uh, with children though, or or young audiences. Um, I mean, young performers in it. A lot of stuff is already shot. So it's mm. and sometimes a lot of things now are they'll be seen shot without an audience, and so the whole show won't be done in front of a live audience. There'll be scenes done in front of a live audience, and then the audience will get to see what's been shot, and then they record mm. that sound. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I was getting at is sort of what you just said, which is that it's not necessarily the sitcom genre that breeds inorganic reactions but it kind of depends show to show and you know you've been a lot of you've been a part of a lot of great sitcoms and worked with a lot of great people and i want to hit on them because i i I was looking at your your resume 
uh, today, so to speak. And I mean, we've talked a bunch of times before, but I never knew you were on ALF. You guest starred on yeah. ALF. <laughs> yeah, talk that, about it. I don't think that was a, that wasn't a live audience. I was going to say, talk about a show that's got to be hindered by production issues. I mean, what was, what was that like for you? Do you remember any of it? That was awesome. I mean, I don't think there was a live audience. Was there a live audience? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But Paul, um, oh God, what's his name? The creator of Elf, who plays Elf and was the Elf's operator. Paul. Uh, I don't God. know. Elf. Oh, Paul Fusco. I don't, I'm probably messing up his last name. But um, so... I never saw Paul. So I only acted with Alf. So huh. Paul was sort of under the floorboards. There was like the stage was raised enough or whatever. There was cut out where Paul would be to operate Alf. So Paul was always below mm -hmm. and Alf was always above. And I literally think I never saw Paul, but I talked to Alf in between takes. <laughs> I, I I I never talked to Paul. I talked to Alf, and Alf was a, a Alf was so unbelievably funny. So Paul through Alf was just this awful. I mean, funny, but this awful human or not human a, 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 a alien life form. Yes, this awful alien life form who's just. <laughs> Oh, just a hateful, hateful creature. And I just remember talking to him in, in between things going, you're just awful. You're just a horrible thing. And, and then he would say something else snide or crappy or whatever. And it was, it was, and I would go home thinking I had this relationship with Alf. I mean, he really brought Alf to life. It, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And I, I know. I don't think I ever met Paul. Wow. I don't remember seeing him. I don't think I ever met him, but I, I felt like I got to know Alf. Was it, it was, was it hilarious? Was it funny or was it funny creepy? Because I'm, I'm really not sure which way this is, <laughs> this is gone. It was funny. Not creepy. It was bizarre. It was, mm. it was bizarre. Alf was alive. Alf wow. was alive. So <laughs> it was it was incredible puppetry. And that that character lived, breathed. It was like another friggin' actor, except he was an alien life form. Wow. So cool. That's so like like to me, that's like the thing. I mean, I can't believe I didn't know you've done that. That's so bragworthy. You were on Alf. That's that's like a it's like being in the Olympics. <laughs> it was, like, it you, was, you tell it was the weirdest it was the weirdest experience okay guys quick time out here from this fantastic conversation I'm having a lot of fun but let's talk about something that is super important a great organization No Kid Hungry is a campaign that is helping kids remain fed each and every day even when school is not in session so Take a listen to this message and get to know No Kid Hungry. Because of the coronavirus, schools have closed nationwide, and kids in need are missing nearly 34 million school meals every day. For many, it's the only healthy food they might get in a given day. No Kid Hungry has a plan to feed these kids, but they need your help. Donate now at NoKidHungry.org to help feed America's children during this crisis and in the months to come. That's NoKidHungry.org. Thanks. 
What about um, you? You did a guest shot on Golden Girls as well, so that was with some heavy hitters, people who uh, you know, women who knew what they were doing on that on the sitcom stage. Was that kind of a learning experience for you at that point in your career to to be on that show? Uh, okay, let me, was, uh, let, let well, me ask this. Well, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, was it because I, I wasn't sure where you were going there? Was it a positive experience for you to be on that show? Oh, completely. No, I had a great time. It was not okay. any of them. Uh, it was so with Thomas, which uh, they also did Herman's Head, and I'm sure it helped me to get Herman's Head because I had done a Golden Girl. So I have nothing but great things to say about with Thomas. Hmm. But so in between, so with Thomas would traditionally do two shows. Uh, they'd have a late sort of afternoon show and, you know, in front of a live audience, tape it, and then you'd eat dinner. And during dinner, you'd get notes. And then after notes, you did another show huh. in front of a, a, another, a different live audience. So okay. there were two completely different tapings. And, um, and then you would incorporate either line changes or new notes or whatever. So at dinner, I was like, oh, dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I completely loaded up on I don't whatever, and you sit along these big tables, and and uh, Tony Thomas and Paul Witt um, are at, at the dais at the end of it, and they are dispensing notes, and I was noted on every single line I had. Mm. Did <laughs> they I say went, you were? They didn't say you were awful, did they? No, no, they didn't say they were awful, but they <laughs> noted me on every single line. And I went, what the hell? What am I doing? And mm. I, it was just, it was, maybe I needed to be noted on it, but it was, it was stunning to me. And that's when I realized that this was a, a writer's medium and not, necessarily an actor's medium mm -hmm. so um, when you say when you say no you mean, right <laughs> so when you say noted you mean notes, like, i was okay. noted i was given performance notes on every single line that, okay. that's my memory of it mm -hmm. okay but still a positive so, experience so needless to say so needless to say the second show wasn't as much fun but I also mm. noticed they weren't noting anybody else. And they weren't uh, noting anybody else because they can't. Because who's going to step to be Arthur? That's correct. <laughs> the only person they could possibly note is me. Mm. So that's why a lot of guest stars or a lot of day players or whatever on any show, whether it's a sitcom or a TV show or whatever, they get no, like to any young actor or any actor, when you're a guest on a show, chances are you're going to be talked to more than anybody else. And that's just the way it is. Part of the job. Part of the job. <laughs> ah. Well, and, it, you know, you obviously did that job very well, not just 
you know, obviously starring in shows like Herman's Head, but popping up all over the sitcom landscape for for a long, long time. What was it like? You popped up on a show called Becker that a lot of people may not remember, mm. but it did star a guy who is essentially at this point, I think, ascended to legendary sitcom status in Ted Danson. What was it like working with him? It was, I was, I could swear. Um, it was awesome. It was, it was a tremendous high point. Um, it was so much fun. It was, I felt like I really got to act. Um, I mean, even though my character was pushed, um, there's, I, I think it was once I, I did, I did, I did a few, uh, just a couple of them, a couple, two or three, I don't know how many I did, but I just remember I had a, I had scenes with him like in at a dinner or something. I just mm. have a vague memory of like a dinner with him. I mean, that was shot. And I just remember it being the most fun I'd ever had on a show. <laughs> like whatever that scene was, it was crazy fun. Was it because of, because of Ted? Was him. it because of the, sh it was because of Ted. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was also, it was written really well, but I mean, uh, um, but it, Ted. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. He's a, he's a, he's, a, he's an effortless actor. He's a genius. He's, and he's so kind and he's so normal and he's so, he's a friggin', he's awesome. He's fantastic. He's absolutely <laughs> fantastic to be around. Is, in, is crazy talented and it is seemingly effortless what he's doing. You know, it's interesting because, you know, we talked before about kind of your lack of comfort at times with dealing with studio audiences and maybe not liking <laughs> that environment so much. Now, does it help to work with, and I, I'm going to guess here and say that Ted Danson is the kind of guy who's probably unflappable when it comes to the studio audience, just supreme confidence. If that is in fact the case, does it help to be in a scene, to be in a room, to be on stage with somebody like that? Yes. I mean, anyone who's brings that kind of level of comfort and surety and um, compassion, because he's also very compassionate, um, will help. Just being in that circle, being in, in their sort of energetic field will calm you down and make you feel better. <laughs> so, okay. I know, so that's that sounds insane, but I mean, it's true. Yeah, no, yeah being around that kind of energy is is inherently helpful. Yeah, it's contagious. I have to imagine. I mean, lots of things yeah. are contagious. Why not that? Um, so it, it, that's a great segue because two of the biggest sitcoms of all time you are were a memorable part of, uh, especially and you mentioned it before Seinfeld, where you memorably played a nun. First of all, first of all. I mean, Seinfeld is one of those shows where people remember every episode so specifically. Even though you spent years on Herman's Head, is Seinfeld still the sitcom role that most people remember and recognize you for? I think it's Friends. Huh. I think Friends eclipses Seinfeld. I think. I don't know. I, or it's close. It's close. It's got to be. Yeah. I mean, they're both on all the time to this day. So yeah, it's it's. I think it's harder to see me uh, mm. 
through a nun. I mean, you have to have really good facial recognition to recognize a nun. I mean, I mean, do you know what I mean? I mean, I was just this little face in this whole black, you know, orthodox outfit. Right. And whereas I kind of looked like me as in, in friends. So, I mean, I do get recognized in Seinfeld, but it, it's, it's a toss up. Yeah. What, what my was face that? Was so tiny. What was that like being on, on the Seinfeld? Because I don't remember what season you were on at that point. Had Seinfeld already hit like number one top show in the world type status? I think I, I don't know if it was cult, but it was pretty hot. Yeah. It was pretty hot. And it was it. I've never probably laughed as much on a set as I laughed on that. I. I mean, stuff was just crazy funny and just howlingly funny and watching Jason Alexander in, uh, in the scene where he's going to convert um, and he's coming down the church aisle. I, I, they did take after take and he did something different every take. I mean, I, I, I could barely contain myself. I was, I was weeping. I was laughing so hard. It, it's the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. When you go to a show like that, is the environment in the studio with the audience, is there a different sort of energy when it's people who are, they've probably been waitlisted if the show is hot enough for a long, long, long time just to get in here. It's a special, special occasion for them to be a part of this show, as opposed to, I mean, Herman said probably wasn't quite that high profile as far as getting a ticket to get inside. Um, is there a different energy? Is there a more forgiveness for, if you will, yes. for those long tapings? Yes. yes, yes, completely. It's, it's when an audience is already on your side, like I like the last season of Herman's head. I mean, it, it's like, not, it's not like the audience has hated us. They just turned to hate us because we kept them so long. Oh um, yeah. But by the, the last, the, the last season, it already been on the air for a while. So we actually did have fans in the audience and that did make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but yes, being on a super, a, a super popular show like Friends or Seinfeld, the energy, everyone already is prone to like you, mm -hmm. is, is, they're already, yes, the energy's, it, it's, it's harder to fail. <laughs> it's harder to fail when they already <laughs> are, are, when they really are so happy to be there and they want to be there yeah that, no it's different that, that's great was it i mean was there anything different for you as far the part of the process or anything unique about being on seinfeld versus the sitcoms that had come before it as far as how the show was put well, together think, how it was filmed i i i do remember <laughs> just think about how not, how like responsive the audience was and just going, damn it. <laughs> I couldn't, is this what it's like? I mean, it could be like this. <laughs> I just remember like, oh, God. I, did, I remember feeling, and I don't, I think, I think Herman's head had already been canceled by then. I'm not sure. I, I can't, I don't remember timelines. But, um, mm. and I just went, wow, this is what it could have been like. I mean, I, it just, it, I, I had audience jealousy. I had mm. tremendous audience <laughs> jealousy. I, that's my, I was like, holy, I mean, it was, it was like a totally 
different game. Yeah. A totally different game. And then by the time I think I did Friends, which was a way later, I think, in the Friends. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I mean, that was just crazy. I mean, yeah. the audience, just crazy. I mean, that there was so much energy bouncing around. It was, I, I, it was hard for me to contain myself. <laughs> Would and you... also, I was a huge, I was a huge Friends fan, so it was actually hard for me to contain myself. Period. It, it, I was it's so happy be... to be on that show. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's look, it, it's as big as those shows were back then it's got to be even a little more surprising or just, you know, something that it's probably taken years to realize just how iconic that they would be in standing the test of time. Even now, I mean, just, <laughs> just the, the, the place that they have still on TV, still, you know, on Netflix, et cetera. I mean, they're still kind of the biggest things in, in comedy. Yeah. I mean, I still watch friends. Sure. I, I will still, if I'm feeling down, I will watch Friends. Not so my you, episode. I mean, I've watched. <laughs> I mean, what do you, I don't think I. I think I've only seen my episode once. But I mean, I certainly watch all the other episodes. I I love those characters and those actors so much. Do you have kind of a block about your sitcom work that you can't watch yourself? Uh, no, I mean, it's just I wouldn't. I I'm in order for me to laugh, I'm not going to go to my show. <laughs> the episode I, was in. I mean, I want to be taken away. I don't, I don't, because I mean, I don't dislike watching me. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm, it's, I mean, I mean, I like watching me after I've done it to see like, oh, what did I do? Oh, that worked. That didn't work. Oh, I'm oh, whatever at the time. <laughs> but later on, it's, it's not as enjoy. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, and also now it's like, oh my God, I was so young. I mean, so that that's hard too. It's like it's hard to watch younger versions of yourself. It's it's a little tough. I, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe a word you're saying right now. And what I'm speculating <laughs> is that I think Molly has a what she calls the sitcom basement in her home, where you go down there, and there's probably stolen memorabilia from each and every one of those shows that we just talked about, along with monitors that are continuously streaming each and every one of these episodes that you are a part of. It's like a, like a sitcom shrine where you relive everything and you're your own studio audience. So it's like justice. I got rid of every single Herman's head tape. What? Cause it was just going to deteriorate. And what was I keeping it for? And I was like, well, am I going to watch this? later in life and see how young I was. I'm like, why do I have this? That's the only reason to have footage on yourself is you're going to make a demo reel and you're trying to get a gig. Well, <laughs> I, can't use, I can't use footage from 30 years ago <laughs> to get a gig now. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, why am I keeping these? And the hard thing was me, even though this wasn't front of the live audience, the hard thing was for me to get rid of, because um, the tape literally was deteriorating, um, was... Um, um uh oh, god what's it called about the hotel um the nut house the nut house i got rid of all those tapes because you couldn't watch them and i don't know i no longer have the technology to watch them 
and I never got them changed over to anything. And it ends back like 35 years ago. I mean, it, it, and it is really hard to watch yourself when you thought you were like, oh, I'm not so great looking. I was great looking. <laughs> I didn't think I was great looking then. I'm like, oh my God, I was great looking. I should have celebrated it. <laughs> so it's tough. It's, okay. It's a little tough. First of all, I don't think it would have been cool 30 years ago. I'm not disagreeing that you were great looking. I don't think it would have been well received by friends, family, or the public for you to be celebrating how great looking you were. So I wouldn't regret that lack of ego. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have talked about it, but I could have had a little more self-confidence. I could have like, you know, internally had a little smile like, yeah, I got it going on. I wouldn't tell anyone, but it could have been, it could have been a little easier. So much wasted on, you know, self-judgment. It was crazy. I, I'm just picturing you posting a, uh, like, set of used VHS tapes, full series of Herman's Head, and the nut job, and putting it on Craigslist or eBay or something like that. Must pick up from home, and some dude coming to your house, and just thinking they're going to get, like, some cheap VHS, and... Lo and behold, it's from the actual star of the show getting rid of her own, her own appearances on her own show. That would be a wacky moment, and I, I, I really hope that did happen. No. Landfill. <laughs> Landfill. Oh, they don't even deteriorate. You're killing the planet, no, man. Uh, oh, maybe I recycled them. Maybe I did. Oh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's very i mean i mean look we've come to an end to our talk about your sitcom career but that's very appropriate that that's how that stuff went down because it kind of seems like that's where your feelings about working in the four camera sitcom world went into the into the landfill uh with, but with uh, a little bit of yeah well i hope so because it sounds like you kind of got miserable at the end. But well, I, think I did. My nerves, my nerves were t intense. Like that last experience, my nerves were like a little out of control. I was barely functioning. But I watch the stuff now, and it makes me laugh. I mean, I did some stuff really well. They reeled it really well for me. But that stuff on, on uh, what's it called? Instant Mom. Like this mm -hmm. character they had written for me. There's one episode. I, I actually, because I used that as a demo tape for a while, so I kept, I edited it, so I had to watch it a lot mm -hmm. uh, for my demo reel. And I like, that's some funny stuff. And that made me laugh out loud. I mean, it still makes me laugh out loud because it's funny stuff. They wrote it really well, and it's funny. Good. So it's not Good. like I don't enjoy it. So, so <laughs> I mean you clearly have the inside scoop on the industry because you you mentioned earlier that the uh, sitcoms are making a comeback these old school four camera type sitcoms um and you know we we see a lot of them even now on like freeform and the disney channel and 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 that kind of thing as well but more so on the networks too what is your outlook on this in the future now you know you're coming off of your last big experience not necessarily being super comfortable for you uh but would you under the right circumstances consider going back to that world oh, yeah because the hours are great and the rehearsals are really fun it's just tape nights that are tough rehearsals well, are fantastic maybe whole, you I could mean, whole, it, it's fun i mean that's a great 
it's a great schedule. It's a great way to have tremendous camaraderie with people and you really get to, you know, uh, uh, create something together and because there's time for it. I mean, it's a, it's a great thing. It's just, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe a nurse would be better now, but it's also, it's, you know, I don't, yeah, I would totally friggin' do a sitcom. Are you kidding? <laughs> I totally would do it. But, but, uh, just not the taping. You'd still push one. Well. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, it's, it's a it's a weird it's a it's a, it is a weird thing unto itself. It really is. Sitcoms in front of a live audience are a weird thing unto themselves. They really well, are. That's what I wanted to drill into today. So thank you for all the insight. But I mean, all that considered, I mean, look, you're you're an established, respected veteran now. I think you could probably negotiate a contract to do Monday through Thursday and just have off on Fridays. You don't have to show up for tape night. You put in the work. They can probably just super. They could do like a hologram thing. Yeah, <laughs> someone else for tape night. I'll rehearse yeah. it. And then yeah. someone else can get all the glory. You don't need to deal with that <laughs> with that stuff. No, you just you hang out, have enjoy the catering. Really makes, but that is what really makes the family, though, is this 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 adrenaline-driven mm. thing that everyone has to show up for. I mean, that's where that's that, that's when people really. Mm bond i mean they bond during rehearsals but somehow that live experience you know it's it's you know kind of the best of times worst of times kind of thing yeah 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 yeah. and you get to experience with someone and all of a sudden you have all this history with people because they went through the same thing you did yeah it's like being at war yeah (laughs) a little bit (laughs) okay hey they Molly, thank you so much for sharing all of your war stories with us then. Your war with Alf, your war with B. Arthur. I didn't have a war with B. Arthur. <laughs> B. Arthur never even said anything to me. Like good or bad? B, B, B did not. No, no, no. Betty was super nice and lovely. But I never, I don't think, I didn't have any scenes with B, so there would be no reason. Oh, okay. Wow. We should have really drilled down more into the whole dynamic with each and every golden girl. I didn't realize how much I cared about that until right now. (laughs) This is how I know I watched too much TV as a kid because I care so much about the experience of working with each and every one of those wonderful ladies. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's so funny. So funny. So, and uh, by the way, I wanted to say this before, because uh, if you go to uh, celebritystagestories.com, guys, what you're going to find out is in addition to all the episodes we're putting out now, we've got a bunch of archived episodes from uh, our former podcast, Hollywood Happy Place, which are now, you'll see them, it's uh, the Catching Up With series. And we have an older interview with you, Molly, 
And I can't, I can't stop myself from saying, got to go back and listen to our past chat with Molly. I'm pretty sure we once again touched on the greatest story that anybody has ever told, which is your relationship with Chuck Norris. But that's a story. Yeah, you just tell them they have to go listen to it because I'm not going to repeat it again. No, 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 no. They go back to that. That's a different topic. We got to stay on theme here. And, uh, but Listen, I, I don't know if you secretly have any sitcom work in your near future um, that you're hiding from us, but is there anything that you've got going on now, coming up, anything that you'd like people to know or for people to follow you anywhere or anything you want to put out into the ether? You know, I don't know what I'm allowed to say. I literally have no, no longer know what I'm allowed to say and not allowed to say. You must be in the new Avengers movie. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I, 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 I don't know what I'm allowed to say. So I, I have things coming up. I'm very excited about it. Um, and so that's, that's all I'm, I'm working and I'm going to get to work until the next year and into into next year so i will pop up on stuff awesome <laughs> I can't, I, I, so i'm i'm really happy i'm super happy but i literally have no idea what i'm allowed to say <laughs> i'm not saying anymore and uh, I, I so i i don't say anything <laughs> all right better safe than sorry but i mean is there anywhere people could kind of follow you so you can say things when it's okay to say things oh, or do you yes. just yes uh you can follow me on twitter and that's just molly hagan at molly hagan and hagan is spelled h-a-g-a-n um and you can follow me there and i usually uh will say things or sh- stuff will come up when i'm allowed to wow i do have a lot of stuff coming up oh and there's they're, they're wonderful things they really are i am so thrilled about all the stuff that's coming up <laughs> super thrilled and one's really for star trek fans they're going to be so excited <laughs> and it's not just about me wow so i mean so. you know what you know you know the definition of, of like a teaser right because <laughs> That's <laughs> you're kind of you're doing what Herman's head used to do. You're kind of on the verge of turning the audience against you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. You've dropped some nuggets. Okay. You've dropped some hints. So people have kind of a direction to look, to look for you. And I'm sure we'll all follow you on Twitter. And then when things are cool to say, I'm sure you will say them. I will. Cool. I will. Well, Molly, thank you. Thank you Thanks, so much. Jerry. I'm sure I kept you over time. Uh, we'll, we'll connect and find another theme for this show to bring you back because you've got too much to say to limit you to one episode. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. All right, guys. What did I tell you? Lots of, lots of, lots of great stories from Molly. Always one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, and whenever I'm done talking to her, I just start thinking about when I'll be able to do it again, because I know there's just so many more really fun stories and conversations that we can have. Uh, We want to thank you for uh, checking us out this week, last week, every week. 
And uh, before we go any further, it's time once again for Vicky Guerrero's catchphrase of the week. Of course, my friend and yours, WWE legend. You can catch her on All Elite Wrestling AEW every Wednesday night on TNT in primetime. Vicky Guerrero, not only does she have her own podcast that I'm a, a bit of a part of as well, excuse me, the Vicky Guerrero Show, but yeah, now she's here every week. Uh, in her own Vicky Guerrero style, she is going to be performing another famous catchphrase from one of your favorite TV comedies. We want you to identify the catchphrase. We want you to tell us who says that catchphrase, and we want you to email us at laughtrackpod at outlook.com. We will shout you out if you get the answers right. It's that simple. We want you to be a part of this show, so take a listen. Without further ado, get ready. It's Vicky Guerrero. What you talking about, Willis? All right, guys. Thank you once again for checking out another episode of The Laugh Track. Before we go any further and wrap things up here, we want to let you know that The Laugh Track is uh, hosted and produced by me, Jerry Strauss, but really the lion's share of the work goes to the mastermind, the maestro, Steve Prentice. Thanks to him as well, as usual, this week. We want you to follow us on social media. Uh, we're going to be talking about lots of things coming up on this show in the future. We want you to be involved. We want you to be up on it. So, uh, Facebook, you can check us out at Excuse Me Pod. We've got our group there. We've got our page there. We are on Twitter at Laugh Track TV. We are on Instagram at Laugh Track Pod. And, uh, of course, our website where you can find all things Laugh Track, LaughTrackPod.com, where you can listen to catch up with all of our old episodes with the stars of, you know, all of your favorite shows. Friends, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Seinfeld, The Office, Freaks and Geeks, the list goes on and on. So, yes, please do that. Thanks to Vicky Guerrero, thanks to Molly Hagan, and thanks to all of you. We'll see you next week.